welcome back it's episode 31 of season two and we have had an eventful few weeks <laughs> johnny more so yeah well you've just been manning the you've been on at, at the top of the like the, the mainsail swaying back and forth in a storm haven't you oh, yep exactly Singing a shanty um, Whereas Johnny has been getting into husbandry. I have. I'm big into husbandry <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I, am, I am now married. Hence the wedding ring. The, ring. the ring of power. I think the last episode we did actually, because I was like, I was weirdly, I was stuck in LA airport with very slow Wi-Fi and didn't want to use, when you're in America, you don't get like free 4G like we do when no. we're going around Europe. And it's obviously punitive, the, the costs of, of like doing anything on the internet when it when EE are charging you whatever they fancy. It really is punitive. But yeah. I had a, for some reason, I had the latest, our latest podcast saved as an offline episode. Don't know why. <laughs> um, so I was listening to that. I was walking around LA airport trying to get some steps in listening to that. And at the start, it was quite surreal. At the start of the episode, I was like, well, when this comes out, I'll, I'll, I'll be married and I'm thinking, oh, fucking hell, like, when did we even record this? <laughs> but yeah, that might, that might be the last episode or it's maybe two episodes ago. Yeah. But in that, since then, married, 10 days in Hawaii, three days in LA. You actually went from single to married as well. Cause you, you know, you hadn't, you hadn't met your, your wife to be by episode 30. <laughs> yeah, it was all. Met her on the way to the airport. It wasn't really just this lavish romantic gesture where like, right, the next woman I see, I'm going to propose to her and that'll be that. I mean, that's hard to get yourself in trouble, isn't it? Big legal agreement with oh, someone yeah. you've never met before. Well, because um, the kind of person that would say yes to that is probably not someone you want to marry. Yeah, that's a good point. Highly risk-seeking person. Hmm. Very un quite probably quite an unstable person. <laughs> I think it was you who said this, like um, you wouldn't just randomly set up going to business for someone. Like most people would be like, whoa, that's no, no, you don't do that. But people will happily like get married after knowing someone for six months. Oh yeah. It really frightens me as a, as a prospect. Yeah. Um, maybe that's just my fear of commitment talking, but. Well, there's, there's a series, Becca actually watches this series, which is, I think is called Married at First Sight, which is literally like a program, a TV program built around I the have idea seen that bits of this. they like match people based on an oh, algorithm. It makes me feel sick. Yeah. So they get married and then they get to know each other after the marriage. Mm. Stupid idea. Because so, they're, what, what they're doing is they're putting the Facebook pixel in a really, on, on like the privacy policy page of the website. <laughs> Like something that's totally irrelevant to long-term compatibility. Yeah. Well, they As can only be on the checkout thank you page where it should be. Yeah. It, they can only do it on like demographic information, can't they? Or like the stuff that someone would fill in on a survey, but then you're biased to fill that survey in to sort of like give a good impression of yourself. So what you don't see on that stuff is like the person's flaws and mm. like, the negative stuff, the stuff that you really want to get full coverage on before you marry somebody. I'm not That's even not sure that, like AI algorithms are going to be any better at this. Cause it'd be like, Oh, you, you two both like the same memes or like you both buy the same products online. Mm. But 
does that. Yeah. There's no way to close that feedback loop and figure out like, would they have worked as a long-term marriage? Yeah. There we go. Final thing. Go on. Sorry. Just, you you mentioned about the punitive rates of online, uh, of roaming internet. Some people have probably heard this, but I just feel like it bears mentioning when I got on the plane to Thailand a couple of years ago, I just fell asleep instantly on the plane (laughs) and then woke up about 45 minutes later with a text that said, welcome to flight airline roaming services your data is being charged at seven pounds per megabyte and i was like oh, oh god like i had a look at the my usage and it was like 350 megabytes and I'm like, oh that's like four grand i'm gonna have to sell the car sell the house like instantly turn my phone off and just sat there just mincing on the rest of this 10 hour flight thinking oh, i love I'm the really... jump to sell the house that's such like, a I, I had a you know terrible flight, just sat there, just mincing about it, thinking I've really fucked it. Arrived in Dubai airport, running around looking for a Wi-Fi spot so that I could speak to the chat representative of Vodafone, being like, listen, man, I goofed, yeah, can you can you help me? And he was like, oh, hello, sir, uh, you appear to have used 37 pounds of data. I was like, oh, brilliant, <laughs> take my money, absolutely fine. <laughs> happiest time I've ever paid £37 for something. So I had, I paid for Wi-Fi on the plane. So it was an 11 hour flight. How much do you think it costs to have Wi-Fi for the full Good night? question. £24. £19.99p. I think that's worth it. It's apps. So I, I, <laughs> I got on the plane, refreshed it. 20 quid, I thought, I'll definitely make 20 quid. I'll definitely make, if I don't make more than 20 quid in 11 hours of Wi-Fi access, what the fuck am I doing? Like, there's no, there's no I certainly shouldn't be on a podcast advising other people how to run an online business if I can't generate 20 pounds. So yeah, the actions. That's a clip yeah. right there. <laughs> but yeah, we're, it, I mean, it's not the best internet. Um, not good for like streaming stuff. Um, cause we've just bought this, we've just bought a course on long, short portfolio management. I would have said trading previously, but since, since watching some of the material I've learned that that's in fact incorrect, it's long, short portfolio, portfolio management. So I tried to watch bits of that, but it was like 10 seconds of audio, 10 seconds of waiting, 10 seconds of audio. And when the material's pretty dry as it is, like when you're looking at yield curves with 10 second pauses, it's fairly tough. So and I the modules that. are all at least two hours. So uh, yeah, it's basically a, it's a degree in macroeconomics spread across 40 months, spread across like 80 hours of information. It's tough. This but is how I, I, we spend our spare time guys. <laughs> yeah, on a honeymoon, <laughs> a honeymoon flight, listening to um, macroeconomic lectures. Just be aware what? we are weird people really and that's, weird. that's why you should hire us because we've done the weird stuff for you. We've done it all before. I am um, speaking of macroeconomics that there was a key difference between, I mean, there's lots of differences between LA and Hawaii, but one interesting difference was the, the, the Uber drivers. So, that, mm. you know, when you get into an Uber in the UK and like some people are really talkative, some people don't say a word over there, everybody wants to talk to you. 
And so I ended up speaking to loads of different Uber drivers while we were over there. And in Hawaii, everyone's like super chill. They just want to know about like, everyone wanted to know about the queen. Everyone wanted to know about like what we thought about the monarchy and the honeymoon and what we thought of the island and what it was lovely, lovely talking to them. You get into Ubers in LA and it's just like this. Like it's just intense. The guy on the final day insisted that the, 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 the GBP USD exchange rate hadn't moved for five years and it was the most stable currency pairing. And I was like, I got, you know, you know you're like tired and I got in the car and I'm like on the way to the airport and he's like, man, like you, the pound's really going well against a dollar. And I laughed. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, good time to go on holiday to the US. And he's like, no man, like that's a really stable like currency pair. Like I invest in it all the time. It hasn't moved for five years. And I like got the, chart up on my phone and showed showed it to Becca <laughs> and you, you think like do I just don't really have the energy to like this guy's not gonna not gonna back down like he he really yeah. thinks he's right that's a very he says he invests in it all the time as well yeah strange very very strange especially but, because you know we we were exposed to the dollar quite a lot because we buy a lot of American software yeah yeah but I mean you don't say that to him, though, do you? Like, well, uh, yeah. My point was that every every taxi ride in in LA was like it almost feels like they're kind of failed actors in some ways. Like they're really loud, really strong opinions. You, you'll sort of they'll say something, you'll say something back, and then they just sort of continue the conversation they were having anyway. Even if you say something that is trying to take it in a different direction or contradicts what they said, so you're just like listening to a broadcast for for forty minutes. Like the, the sort of Grand Theft Auto NPC scripts that have got like five directions that they can go. Yeah. So, but they all in like, they all in hundred grand top line ish. Um, that's me sort of like trying to pick, pick numbers out of what they say. And you can see how many, I, we looked at one guy, picked this up. He'd gone to uni in Leeds. He born in LA, went to uni in Leeds, came back to LA, became an Uber driver. And Becca was looking at his stats and he'd done like thousands of Uber trips. And I worked out he'd grossed at an average, like $25 per trip. He'd grossed like 780 grand through Uber. Just wow. doing Uber. But that was, that, that was assuming he'd been doing it for five years. And that was assuming like a fairly full work week. But Uber's a weird thing over there. Like it's such a popular, so there are so many Ubers and there are so many people doing it like all day. So it must be quite lucrative. Crazy run rate. Yeah. They, I mean, they really were onto a winner with that, weren't they? Like recruit, just crowdsource all of your staff. Yeah. Well, they've all got to be employed now, haven't they? Do they? Yeah. Well, well, maybe I'm wrong about that, but there was certainly, they made a change not that long ago, mm. which when your national insurance bill gets bumped up and everyone's an employee. Right? Oh. <laughs> well, you know, Uber... It does give you flexible hours, but you have to physically be in the car at the time. We're not yet at the stage where you can set yourself driving car to kind of rent out to other people and it generates cash for you. But you know, the people who will dominate that when that starts is just rental car companies. People with cash and yeah. No, people with fleets of cars. Well, yeah, they don't even need the cash today. They just, yeah. they have the cars already. So we, we hired a car in, in Hawaii. And the, in, the the infrastructure of these companies that rent out cars is bonkers. Like 
multi-story car parks of just fleets of rental cars. And they're all just being, they're just, I don't know whether they lease them and then they sublet them or whether they own them or, or what, but there's a lot of assets. Someone has a lot of assets. <laughs> it's just a lot of cars that are depreciating. But imagine when you can stick a camera in the front of all of those and go, off you go. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> no staff, don't need to sleep. Don't don't take sick days. Don't need holiday. Just drive 24-7. And it's just attached to whoever's credit card that's chosen to get the ride. So if they throw up in the car, bing, $500 bill. Yeah. Cleaning some AI thinks you've been sick and you haven't. Like you... <laughs> So don't, don't sit in the back and go, <laughs> yeah. Or like you like put a bag down there is like vomit detected billing. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. <laughs> oh. Speaking of which. Speaking of which. So one of the most common things that we complaints that we hear from personal trainers is the, the idea of having to get into the gym for 6am You've got three sessions with people, you know, the pre-work rush and then 9am till 12pm, there's just nothing really going on. You might have the odd session and then you get a couple of lunchtime people and then there's not much going on. And then 6pm onwards, it's, it's crammed again. So you're, you've got these bits in your day of kind of downtime where it's not quite long enough to go home and relax, mm. but it, you're not able to generate cash at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday, unless you've got some some kind of clients that have just won at life and they've got the luxury of training at that time. So it's that's one of the big unsung benefits of coaching online, that you define your hours. And it's very much a double-edged sword because when you define your hours, that, that could expand to all day or none of the day, depending on your temperament. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think, you know, you and I've spoken about this before that we, you and I still are able to like maintain, I think we, we both have like a, a stripped down version of the workday and then the full version of the workday. So there's like the, the premium <laughs> 2.0 version, which is where you like do all the stuff you have to do. And then you get to work on the project work and like you do a bit of extra stuff. So you're working on like maintaining the business and growing the business. But the stripped down version of that, that could really be done. Like if, if I gave you an two hours on your laptop, you could probably do everything that like needs to happen so that nothing goes wrong and the revenue is maintained in that time. So you could define your hours as 10 hours a week if you wanted to just maintain, especially as a, as a PT with like 30 clients, let's say you could just sort of maintain that number in 10 hours a week or even less than that. Um, and I think we posted this on Instagram the other day that an offline PT, like a successful offline PT, what that life actually ends up looking like is pretty unpleasant. So a full calendar of an offline personal trainer doing really well financially is actually really antisocial and very tiring. Yeah. It's not the hours that you've got booked in your calendar. It's the total time that you have to be in the gym. Mm. And I think that's what the, the gyms will often sell. Like, oh, you'll only be working 20 hours a week and you'll make... Well, yes, but that's not 20 hours bulk back to back. And then you're, you're free to spend the, the day as you want to. It's like, yeah. 
scattered throughout the day, which is a real killer. It's the most high value hours that you're working. It's like if you have a family, then you miss like kids waking up in the morning, going to school and you miss them getting home and going to bed. If you're, if you're trying to really like, if you just optimize for income, you're like, well, I need to, I need to work as many, do as many sessions a week as possible. When do people want sessions? It's before work and after work. Mm. And that's when probably when your family aren't working. So yeah, as you say, you've got that and then you've got these like dead hours in the middle when you're like sat in the gym cafe, if the gym has a cafe, thinking like, well, what do I do? I'll Canva or something or like Instagram or like, and you end up just procrastinating and not really doing anything basically. So I, I like this idea of the the basic and the premium package for how you set up your day, because if you're working online, you can, you could do the basic package and do it at times of the day where everyone else is busy anyway. So let's say from 6am till 10am, that's four hours of work and you can definitely get the revenue maintenance, get on top of your client responses, all that stuff. And then the rest of your day is totally yours. So that's the closest thing to complete freedom that you can, that you can achieve. The problem is that when people do the premium package, there are an infinite number of things that you could do to work on your business. And that could, that could take up many lifetimes of, of work. A lot of that stuff is quite low yield, mm. not every hour of work on your business is equivalent. So as you say, like farting around on Canva, like it's not going to necessarily generate you new clients. And it's, it's not something that is like, it, it might do if you know what you're doing big picture and it's all directed towards a specific goal and you're creating a, an ad angle that's, you, you know what the return on that is and it's going to generate this many clients. And, but it's very easy to just fart about being busy and uh, confusing motion with action. Yeah. Well, I think you, you almost need to be in the position where like the example you gave where you, you spend an hour making an ad or you make a YouTube video that generates tens of thousands of views or something like that. Like you need quite a lot of infrastructure in place any, like to begin with for any of that stuff to actually matter. So, you know, you need somewhere to capture the leads, somewhere, a way to convert the leads, a way to coach the clients, a way to manage your admin and your systems and all those sorts of things. Um, for, for even that sort of spare time to actually be really productive. And I think people get trapped in this window where they don't have any of that, but then they still sort of spend two hours posting on social media. And even, even if that post did do really well by whatever metrics you define, it still wouldn't lead to anything because you don't have all that stuff set up. Yeah. And so we're, we're not saying that every hour has to have an immediate return on investment, but it's, if you're working towards something project-based, it's knowing that when this project is complete, then it'll be an asset for the business and it's going to generate this amount projected. So it's, it's knowing that, because of course there are big projects that compound over time and you won't see a return on them until six months in or a year in or skills that you learn that are going to take some time to all of you. If you look at all of your education as a coach to become a better coach and get people results, the first hundred hours wouldn't necessarily have been enough to, to get money through the door, but at a certain point it tips over and then suddenly 
you are an authority in solving that particular problem for that particular person. And, and then it's generating you cash in perpetuity from that point. So it's, it's, it's really just having some direction with the time that you're spending and not just filling it up because you've got a spare hour or two here and I should probably do a bit of this or I should probably do a bit of that. Um, the, the, the big returns come from the compounding. I was listening to you, James Smith, <clears throat> talk about this on Stephen Bartlett podcast recently. Cause I've been, I've had a lot of time on planes to listen to a lot of audio. Um, and he said, he was talking about online coaching and offline coaching. And he referred to the, the idea that's a Tim Ferriss concept from the four hour work week called the new rich, which is this idea of like, you don't define success by your income, but you define success by like having total freedom. So like mm. the, the multiple currencies, you know, like where you work, when you work, what can you do, whatever you want with your time? Do you have enough money to live your life? All these sorts of things rather than just what is my income? But he said something like, sometimes I think maybe I should just go and like teach people BJJ and Bondi and just do that for a living. And maybe that would be better. And I was thinking about that, th like thinking, do I have an equivalent of that? Like, do I have any desire to like, I don't know, set up a driving range and learn to teach people how to play golf. And I, I really don't, like, I really don't find that enticing at all. And I don't know whether you, you do or not, but I, I think the point is just to what, to what you were saying. I think what I really enjoy is the idea of that, like you put time into something and, and it has a, there's like a, the potential for an outsized return from that, like an asymmetric response. And you're building things that you spend an hour doing something and it might impact a thousand people or a thousand people might see it. And this yeah. like one-to-one -one relationship of working in a gym or teaching someone BJJ or teaching someone golf will never have that relationship, no matter how good at it you are. I don't know whether you have. have uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and that's, it's amazing as well that there's, there's nothing that you'd rather be doing that that's like, it's not as if there's a, oh, my camera's gone funny. We're okay. We're safe. We're <laughs> that there's the the idea of like this pipe dream of setting up a driving range or whatever <clears throat> i think because you're aware of the maybe i'm wrong but you're aware of the amount of admin and the fact that it ties you down to a physical location and you know, running a physical business is a lot more faff than running a digital one i, <laughs> I think just as a as a broad rule but the great thing is that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite an easy man to please as well, that the things I enjoy doing of just being, being able to have freedom in my day and go outside and read and spend time with people I love and go out for meals. And, you know, it's, it's, it's quite simple things in the scheme of things. It's not really that like expensive habit. Um, and I think we've both experienced this trap that you've, the hedonic treadmill, people who work in corporate environments, particularly high powered sort of, um, more and more senior positions where you're expected to spend more and you're expected to live this lifestyle that can only be fueled by the high salary that the corporate life pays for. And I spoke to Darren Lee a couple of weeks ago on his podcast. He was saying that there was a, a sales job that they when, when the new starts came on, they basically said like, you need to buy, a Ferrari or like some kind of expensive car 
and they really pushed it down their throats that they had and they had like deals with like car finance companies to get them to get them to buy this expensive car when they began and they were saying you know this is because it's a symbol of what you've achieved and blah 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 but actually it was just to rope them into a finance deal so that they had to keep working it's really insidious that's awful yeah but it's you know it's instantly on that treadmill early so that they have to keep working and and they're taking away your freedom that way so it's very much careful what you wish for careful where you put the facebook pixel because just optimizing for cash at the expense of your freedom and having to then have the expectation of keeping your spending up as well means that you don't really take home very much at the end of the day i know you you said in hawaii there was a there was a hotel that was like 20 grand a night yeah twenty thousand dollars per night and like the only that as a percentage of your total wealth there's got to be so few people that can comfortably afford that maybe i'm wrong maybe there's oh you're right like it's got to be like tenths of a percent hasn't it that that can come i mean it also depends what you mean by comfortably like I think there's a propensity, isn't there? That w- the level of liquid cash you and I would have to have before we sp- spend 20 grand without even really thinking about it on a hotel for a night versus someone else's propensity. I think you can say that for a lot of expensive things, like a lot of people will, will stretch themselves because of the perception it creates, but is the person who spent, so it was all the cheapest hotel in that, the cheapest room in that hotel was 1800, I think dollars is the person who is spending $20,000 getting the multiples in satisfaction and happiness, like almost certainly not. Maybe they are, but almost certainly not. When, when you translate it into time, because 1800 is for a lot of people, that's a monthly salary. Yeah. And so yes, maybe they're not staying in that hotel, but let's just take the average cheap hotel. It's still a hundred pound a night, 200 pound a night. Like that still feels unreasonably expensive to me it's not something you could you could do every day like you'd very quickly get to zero on your bank account <laughs> <with that. laughs> yeah it depends what your income is but yes i agree it just feels like a gratuitous expense and and yet as you say there's there's something that's driving people to to not really think about that as a as a cost and and maybe it's because it's seen as a luxury so we 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 switch out of that mode of oh that's this many hours of work or that's this many weeks um someone talked about this in terms of you you look at your annual salary excuse me i still lost my voice from covid last week but um we haven't even mentioned that that's also happened by the way that has also happened yeah very rubbish would not recommend very rubbish that's that's what you know on all the news announcements with matt hancock standing there with the like the yellow sign saying like protect the nhs it should have just said very rubbish yeah if there was just an average like trust pilot score so like two out of five (laughs) stars what is covid like very rubbish yeah anyway sorry so oh yeah so it was you, you take your average your, your annual salary, net of tax and everything else is what, what your actual take-home pay packet is. And then you remove any 
work-related expenses. So the shirts that you have to wear and the cleaning fees and all that kind of stuff. Anything that you, you would, would com- commute and petrol and anything that's specifically, if you didn't have the job, you wouldn't have to pay. And then you look at your normal expenses day to day and convert them into number of hours from that net, true net hourly rate. And so you then you're looking at like a Starbucks coffee and it's 43 minutes or <laughs> yeah, a night in a hotel. Oh, that's 16 hours, something like that. And when you look at things in, in that sense, it becomes pretty painful. Like it's, and maybe that's why people don't like to look at that. Cause it's, it's a really it horrible way to look at money. I think I, it never really quite lands for me that way of looking at that. But I think that's because I don't feel like what we do is linked to time. I know it is. Mm. I know everything obviously is, but like, do you know what I mean? Like we aren't paid, you and I personally aren't paid per hour. Um, and it, it's like up to us individually to like, we don't work in an office together. We both individually sort of work separately and structure our days and make our own decisions on like, what am, how am I spending my time? And because I'll, a good chunk of that feels like we're building this thing that has this like leveraged apl- applied to it. That isn't this one-to-one relationship. I don't necessarily think when I buy a Starbucks, like, fuck, like, cause I, I don't even know what my hourly rate is. Really. Well, yeah, that, that, <laughs> so, so that's a big, big thing, isn't it? That you, you said that it's creating something which then pays off in the future mm. and on a big picture scale, there will be many things that provide no return immediately, but or provide a really low hourly rate in the beginning, but the curve of return is like that exponential rising. And if we look at our revenues over the the last 10 years, it trundles along. And then you, you know, each year you often will dwarf all the previous years Mm. um, in that one 12 month period, you know, this is the same with, with any growth curve, really it's um, there's a tipping point where it just goes nuts. Um, well, even if you just maintain like a 25% annual growth in your turnover and like compound that across 10 years. So take your current income and compound that by 25% annually over the next 10 years. That is a, that will be a mental number, but it's that to do that, you have to be doing things that don't have a one-to-one relationship all the time. Like it has to at least be a like one to 1.25 relationship the whole time to maintain that situation. So I think, I think that's like, I would, I would happily do things, something for free. If I felt like it's next year, it cements the, and I suppose back to the, what, how we started this conversation, like doing an hour's session with someone in a gym, like the best case scenario is that person doesn't cancel or that person maybe refers someone granted, but like there's a fairly capped, um, there's a fairly limited situation as to what that can gain, but you can produce a piece of content, make an ad, design a funnel, launch a product, add material to your product, to your online, uh, like ecosystem. And that might double your revenue next year. So like, what's the hourly rate of that activity? It's quite hard to define really. Like there are, there are things that we've done, like single things that we've done, like an ad we've made or a video you just recorded that we can trace like tens of thousands of sales to. Mm. And when you're making that thing at the time, you don't think this is worth 10 grand an hour. 
But so, it is. so that, that's a really important point because you, you, the idea is you shift your time towards doing as many things as possible that have residual value and potential for leverage and scale and everything. But sometimes creating an ad angle, you don't know if that one ad angle is the one that that takes off. There is still an element of chance and testing and so on. And so it's broadly the, the activity of generating ad angle that is the revenue generating thing. It's not making number 46 or 49, I think we're up to. We are, yeah. Um, but it's, so it's having that, that big picture view and saying, okay, I know that if I do many reps of this, eventually it'll, it'll take off. And that's kind of the benefit of hiring a coach as well, because there are many things that you could do thousands of reps with and it doesn't do anything after five years. That's it. What's that? I think you, what's the quote? Like know which reps to do and do the reps. Yeah. Something like that. Like that's it, isn't it really for anything you want to do? But the, the, there's kind of both sides of that equation for various reasons are immensely difficult. Like knowing which reps to do incredibly challenging. Most people can even get past that. Most people don't even figure out what the reps are and then just consistent, then settling into like, right. Okay. 10 years of this, nothing else. Well, <laughs> no last episode was doing some of the reps and then program hopping and then doing some other reps and then doing some other and yeah. never settling into the, the period where it's <clears throat> the reps start to pay off. Yeah. And I think. I suppose like the rep knowing the reps to do that maybe does change a little bit over time, like as the market adapts and all those sorts of things, but there are things that will always stand the test of time. I think, um, like a good example of that, that we discuss a lot is email marketing. Like how long has email marketing been around? It's been around as long as email has been around, mm. which out, outlasts any social media platform, for example, it's very Lindy, isn't it? Very Lindy, even like YouTube videos, like how long have those been around for? Oh yeah. Oh, when God. did YouTube set up? Like. 2003 don't know i mean we've had it how long has our youtube channel been around for we we got into youtube quite early but we just didn't we, we just didn't we, we uploaded bollocks <laughs> until until we, recently we had like an accidental viral phase didn't we where <laughs> we both got um taken by like 4chan and teenmusclehunks.com uh, yeah johnny got, got barraged because he uploaded something about his results on 531 <laughs> the training program and they were just convinced that he was on dht based steroids it's so specific it was a it was a 260 kilo deadlift so i uploaded it which looking back is mental i uploaded a beltless 260 kilo conventional deadlift in vibrams <laughs> <laughs> probably because he hadn't bought a belt by that point i hadn't yeah i didn't think i needed one um which you know stupid but um <laughs> Uploaded that and everyone's like, look at this twat. Like he just needs to eat a meal. Like how he can't be doing that naturally. And then suddenly the YouTube channels went crazy. You can even see it on our like historical spike this like day where the traffic spikes. But the point is, you know, that's a good, a, a good example of something that's been around a long time. So you could have been making YouTube channels one, one video a week since YouTube was created and you'd still be going think of the compounding you'd have had by, oh, then, yeah. by now. Or if you'd send an email, like four emails a week since Active Campaign was released. That, that's the real way to see the power of compounding is in hindsight, isn't it? it because mm. there, there's always going to be someone who's just turned up and uploaded a video every week for 10 years. 
or sent an email every every day for for 10 years or whatever you look at where they're at and you're like oh yeah that's where we could have been so it's the the old trading adage like the best time to learn trading is 20 years ago the second best time is now yeah that you you can you can see the evidence and it's the whole kind of play stupid games win stupid prizes thing like if you try really hard on instagram and you're always on top of your stories and stuff do you want the prize that that produces which is a large account on a platform that's dying and everyone's losing their um engagement on and getting their getting their accounts banned because they say something remotely controversial as well but you're, you're absolutely right i think like what is the best case scenario like let's say this works what does that look like do i want to sort of like be at the helm of that ship so like how you build an instagram following to a million followers what have you then got to do to maintain it you've got to basically upload multiple times a day every day to something that disappears 24 hours later it's nauseating whereas you you know your youtube channel does well like i'm going to share this stat because it's it blows my mind this month from our YouTube channel, we've made like 450 quid in AdSense revenue. So like just other ads being posted on our channel. But that's not the mind blowing thing. The mind blowing thing is though the, that's from videos that we didn't even post this month in the most part. It's from videos that were posted like seven or eight months ago. But the, the point is like you're feeding this thing that is getting better over time. So do you want the imagine that going really well like imagine being mr beast or imagine having a, a channel that is feeding sales into your company the whole time from a video you made a year ago that's just always getting better and always growing johnny's very... excited about the the prospect of the adsense money coming in because it's it's pure it's the true definition of passive income i suppose but i mean that's like adsense is not the is not the driving force of any YouTube channel's monetization. Like yeah, it's not why, be, not why we're doing it. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's always going to be like f- probably five to 10% of the total amount that a YouTube channel can generate you. Mm. For large channels, let's say it's 50 to 100 grand a month, but what they're making in brand deals or selling their own products or whatever will be multiple times more of that. Yeah. So it's and just it's- more of a, a marker of this is what the traffic is worth to YouTube. Yeah. But you can still monetize that traffic directly. And we're not saying start a YouTube channel if you want to become an online coach. Like we're, we're just using it as an example of like, that's something, that's an example, like compare that to something that has a one-to-one input output. So you go, you turn up at a gym, you work with a client for an hour, they pay you 30 quid and then the session ends. And like at the end of that session, yes, the client might get results. Yes, the client might refer someone. Yes, a client might renew and buy another package, but that's, it's capped at that versus you spend that same hour. Let's say, take that PT and turn them into an online PT. And they have systems that generate the same income weekly, the same income monthly. And they use that spare hour that they were working with Rob on a Friday morning. And instead they're like, you know what? I might make a YouTube video once a week as just a different way to spend my time. Let's say that goes really, really well. The potential for that is one to infinite, right? Like it could be the biggest YouTube channel in the world, potentially, right? So there's the, you're putting yourself in these positions where if things do go really well, if you do master that skill, there's a huge potential return both for the business directly. And you might also help a million people with the video, which is a pretty cool thing. 
yeah, alternative things. You know, I, I might write an email to my list or I, I might create a lead magnet to generate subscribers onto there, or I might create a module for my six week program or yeah. um, something that, that is evergreen because every time you do that, you're creating a version of yourself that you can copy and paste and just paste everywhere. And, and that's yeah. them doing the work for you. So the point is not the YouTube video or the email or the, the ad angle or whatever it's, it's what, what is the thing that you can then replicate yourself with rather than making the classic mistake that PTs make of taking the, all the limitations of offline PT and making it into an online problem. So delivering zoom classes online, like yeah. you, all you've, all you've got there is all the downside of offline PT that you have to be at a physical place for a certain time and there's no residual value in it. Instead, flip it on its head, like use the internet for what it's made for. Mm. Just, yeah, just do the session, just re-record the, record the session in advance and have people follow along to it. Or even better, design your program in a way that doesn't require that at all. But it, the thing that, um, I think the thing I personally find the most, in terms of the, the way I can spend, the way I spend my time in a day is if I write an email that generates sales, that might take me 20 minutes and that can be scheduled and sent out at a time when I'm not on my laptop, which is firstly, it's quite cool. Like when you, you know, you're out in a bar on a Friday night and you get an email that you wrote two weeks ago that gets sent to your phone because you're on your email list to test it. And then you see like three sales come in and you're like, that's pretty cool. But what's even more exciting is then taking that email because it's proven at this point and adding it into an automation that then every new person who ever enters the business will now see. And it's stuff like that that you can't do with social media. And that's again, where this outsized return exists. So you spend 20 minutes writing an email, it generated an immediate result, and then you put it into a position where it can just keep generating an outcome. It can keep going. And the more people you add to your email list, the more results that email will generate. Again, that's just choosing what you spend your time doing, like knowing which reps to do. You could have spent that time posting a, a, an infographic on, uh, on Canva, sharing it to your story that then this time tomorrow doesn't exist anymore. Or you spend the time writing, a, writing an email to a list that you've built over time using a business model that allows you to do that. And then it's, it's going to generate income. I think that's the key yeah. point, isn't it? It's if you pick a game that is unpredictable and may, may not even pay off. And then even if you win that one, does that achieve what you want it to? Yeah. Which, which it, in my opinion is Instagram. I, I'm just short Instagram as a, as a platform. I would love to see an income breakdown of like, take two people in the same industry. One of them has a million followers on Instagram. And the other one has a million person on email list. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> just see what the, see how each of them does. Um, there is that stat. Like we, last month we made like three pound 14 per email subscriber and that's like better than average so the average well above the industry average yeah yeah <laughs> so, the, the average is like one pound per email subscriber so if you have thousand people on an email list you would make one a thousand pounds per month from that email list assuming you're good at email marketing so assuming it's not going to hold true linearly forever but even if it's 50p per email and you've got a million people on your email list it's not bad like you you're fairly healthy income from that um it's just 
we, we speak to a lot of people with some pretty big Instagram accounts and it's not even close. Like often the people with a million Instagram followers, the followers are there for reasons that are sort of tangential to the core business. And so they struggle to convert them into something. So they end up like mon- trying to monetize the traffic by selling protein deals or affiliate offers and things that don't, again, that they're following them for something typically visual or aesthetic or whatever. And then it's like, Hey, buy my coaching. Sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't. Well, it's not really in an Instagram's interest. They True. just want you to pay for ads. So yeah, it's, it's a losing game, but because it's so visual and it's so comparative and it looks like everyone else is really busy on Instagram. So oh, I'd, I'd better be posting too. We all get caught up in this trap and then we end up working for them for free rather than building your email list. Yeah. Run ads to something that covers the ad cost and builds your email list in the background. And that's it. And just run that for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, when you've got a hundred thousand people in your email list, that's all you'll ever need. There's an asymmetry with that because we don't, because you can't see what's on someone's email list. You can't see what's going on on that. So it's almost, it feels as if it, it's not happening. And yet that that's where the big money is. Yeah. It's a weird thing sending an email because it feels no different to posting on Instagram, but actually what you're doing is having thousands of individual conversations. Whereas like, yes, but only you know that. So there's, there's yeah. the asymmetry of information that someone yeah. else doesn't know that if they're not on your email list, they don't know that you've sent or how many sales you've made from yeah. sending an email. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's blue ocean. Does this sort of the thing that, well, yeah, it, it, I mean, obviously there are people who are, a lot of people send email marketing emails. Um, but the mindset someone's in when they're in their email, they don't, people generally don't go on their email to like numb out and procrastinate and look at funny videos. Like they go on their email because on there is, is like communications that they need to see or read. And I don't think we've ever made a sale from someone who doesn't have an email account, but we make sales all the time from someone who doesn't have an Instagram account, doesn't have a Facebook account, doesn't like TikTok, doesn't, you know, whereas they all have email, which is a strange thing really, when you think about it, like it's it's like the binding thing. So I I sent an email ironically about email the other day. um, And I looked up some stats before I sent it. And there's, I think there's 4 billion active email users in the world. So when you compare that to any social media platform, like dwarfs them, it's a, just makes everything else look pointless. Yeah. Goodness me. Yeah. Well, there we go. There we are. Do things that scale. Do things that scale and just start an online program in the, in the, like the 11 AM to, in the, in the 10 p- 10 AM to midday slot that you have free every day, just start doing some productive reps in the right direction. Yeah. Start doing something like one, one massive thing that we see people get in touch with us on the calls, which we, we offer a few slots every week. So if you want to get in touch, we've got the link in the, in the description to this podcast, people get in touch being like, Oh, I want to start online, but they haven't done anything to, Mm -hmm. to move towards it. And like, it's another form of procrastination, like waiting until you speak to a coach to get things set up. Like, yes, I admire the, the idea that, you know, you, you wanting to do it right, but start doing something because 
it's it's a long game and it's something which will compound over time so you'll just wish that you started six months earlier anyway yeah i think the only like contradiction to that i would say is that like spending we'll occasionally get people on those calls say like do i need to have done website logo niche all these things before i sign up with you in many cases like we'd actually prefer if I think the the, the the mistake you can make is procrastinating and doing nothing for six months and just like researching and thinking about it. Like if you want to sign up with a coach, sign up with a coach and start now and start moving in that direction now. Spending six months doing the wrong things is, is arguably just as bad as spending six months doing that. In fact, it's worse because you've got to then undo that stuff. Um, but yeah, like I think sitting and, and doing nothing at all um, or just researching it and kind of like mental masturbation around the idea is just a total waste of time because every day that passes is like tag that onto the end. So imagine this is a 10 year journey. And if you, if we looked at our revenue curve, it's very much a hockey stick. So every subsequent day, like if we taken propane more seriously a year earlier, mm. it'd be a year further down and a year yep. further down and a year further down. And it's quite painful to look at it like that, but, and it's also quite difficult to, to really grasp that idea when your revenue online is currently zero. But it really does just, it's a, it's a series of actions that you take over time. And the result, where you'll be in five years' time, is all just determined by the day you choose to start. So the sooner you start, the bigger that number will be. Um, I think that's the biggest, t- I think that's my biggest regret, you know, in propane. I've been thinking about this while I was away. Like, you look at, I look at our revenue graph on Stripe and I think like, fuck. I wish we just started earlier. Yeah. Or just taking it more seriously earlier. Like, I think we messed around with it for years yeah and um, like the the market landscape like it's the earlier you start the less competitive it is so there are people who have done so well just because of timing because they started really early and there was nothing available at the time so even just being plum average you would have done so well because there's fewer people to compete with i think the only uh the only thing i when i think about like when we started, the market was way less mature, but it also didn't feel like a legitimate option. Mm. I think that was something that put me off for a long time was that it didn't really like, oh, I couldn't possibly set up an online fitness business because that's not a real thing. Whereas now there are definitely examples of it being a real thing. Um, and like the market's mind numbingly big. Like you really think you can't get 30 clients from billions of people. Like how, how bad do you actually have to be at trying to not acquire 30 people? It's uh, like, if you just try long enough, you will eventually hit that number. And if that's, if that's a better outcome than working with 30 people offline, then it's a worse, worth at least giving a punt. Yeah. We just needed the, the market to show us like, oh, this is possible where I, that's just a mindset limitation rather than anything else. Yeah. So Absolutely. yeah, now it's absolutely unequivocally possible you can see from everyone around us so yeah the only variable is like knowing which reps to do and doing the reps those are the only two things you have to decide if you want to know which reps to do we have access to all of that in a program that we sell it's a really good program i think you'll like it and if you want to have someone hold you accountable while you're doing all the reps we'll do that too what more could you want it's a (laughs) no-brainer no-brainer Speak to you next week. Bye.